This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It's Friday, June 3rd, 2022. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show. I am your host, Guy Benson. Very glad to have you here each and every weekday between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And if you can't listen as we air, you can always catch our podcast on demand at your fingertips, free of charge, totally free. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcasts.com, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we are really growing. We are so grateful to all of you. Of course, listening live is where it's at, especially if there's some breaking news that we're covering, many ways to do that across our great affiliates, through the Fox News app, the live stream, Fox Nation, through our partners at odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. You have choices. Many of them are right there at GuyBensonShow.com. I want you to write down our toll-free phone number here at the show. We're going to do some calls a little bit later on. I'll explain what that's about later this hour, taking your calls next hour. But just preemptively, here's the number if you want to jot it down, 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. More on that front to come. Here's the guest list today. Charlie Hurd will be here later on this hour. We'll get his reaction to the president's speech Last night on guns, I had my say on Jesse Waters' primetime Fox News channel. I previewed the speech and then reacted afterwards. We will get Charlie's analysis coming up. And then in the next hour, our middle hour, we will have Secretary Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State. He was supposed to join us yesterday. There was a a bit of a scheduling issue, so we've got that on the books today, and we're looking forward to that discussion, mostly, I would imagine, on foreign policy. It's Friday, so as we often try to do here, we'll have Fridays with Kat. Kat Temp joining us in the happy hour, our 5 p.m. hour Eastern. That's coming up two hours from now. And also... In that hour, Martha McCallum, our colleague at Fox News, she's over in London covering the Platinum Jubilee for Her Majesty. Seventy years on the throne, at 96 years of age, Martha is anchoring Fox's coverage from across the pond, and we will check in with her to get the latest and sort of uh, just a flair, a sense of how things are going in London on this long weekend of national celebration, our cousins over there, the Brits. But we begin today on the economy, and I have seen in the last, oh, 12-plus hours or so, a couple fascinating flashback clips. One crossed my radar late last night. I tweeted it late last night. And then another one came to my attention this morning. Some of the things that have been said and predicted by members of the Biden administration, senior members of the administration, including the president, about where things might be headed on 
inflation. So, for example, let's start with this. The Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, she's been out there sort of apologizing, admitting that they got things wrong or that she got things wrong on inflation. And boy, did she. This is a clip in Cut 36, an interview that she did in October of 2021. So in the fall of last year, she was talking about all the spending programs. They'd already spent trillions. They wanted to spend trillions more. And she said very breezily at the time, oh, yeah, no, we could spend trillions more. It won't have an inflationary impact. All that spending's paid for. This is a very interesting walk down memory lane. October 2021, the Treasury Secretary cut 36. I don't think that these investments will drive up inflation at all. Um, first of all, they're fully paid for. They're, and um, not by imposing higher taxes on anyone earning under $400,000, but by asking corporations, high-income individuals to pay their fair share. It will boost the economy's potential to grow, the economy's supply potential, which tends to push inflation down, not up. I mean, just wrong on all counts. We know that the trillions that they were able to pass, the extra wasteful trillions in the rescue plan, that was inflationary, that huge package of spending. Even some Democratic economists are admitting that was a mistake of historic proportions that the Democrats made completely along party lines. Then they wanted to spend a lot more, trillions more. And Yellen was saying, oh, that won't increase inflation at all. I mean, thank God they weren't able to rustle up the votes that they needed. They got close. Can you imagine how much worse it would be, worse than it already is, if they had poured $5 trillion more trillion on top of everything? And it was not all paid for. They also had a line for a while. Remember where they told us that the cost was zero? The trillions of dollars would cost zero dollars because it was paid for, and neither one of those things were true. It wasn't fully paid for, and of course the price tag is not zero dollars. It's trillions of dollars. Raising taxes on businesses, which is what she was talking about, that would have, in theory, partially paid for some of the spending. How was that going to reduce prices or grow the economy? It's just magic thinking. I know she's a much smarter economist than I am. I have zero degrees in economics. I also know that if you raise taxes on businesses, especially when things are getting squeezed the way they are, that gets passed down inevitably to other people, including consumers, and costs and prices go up. That is especially bad in a time of high inflation, which she was wrong about all along as they were spending their trillions and hoping for more. To go, it'll grow the economy. It won't increase inflation at all. It's fully paid for. That was October of 2021. Then, of course, this week, oops, never mind. Got this one wrong. Cut 37. I think I was wrong then about um, the path that inflation um, would take. As I mentioned, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted uh, energy and food prices and um, supply bottlenecks that have affected our economy badly that I didn't at the time didn't fully understand. But we recognize that now. 
Well, it wasn't just the unanticipated shocks. It was that plus the anticipated shocks, which, with all due respect, ma'am, you were blowing off. Then we have this memory lane soundbite from President Biden himself. This was at the end of March, so not long ago, March the 31st. So all of April, all of May, we just started June, just over two months ago. Biden was guessing that gas prices were going to head, well, a certain direction, cut 35. My guess is we'll see it come down, continue to come down. Um, But how far down, I don't think anyone can tell. And there's going to be a slight delay because if you go out there and you're a gas station and you purchased X amount of gas at a certain price, you're not going to lower the price of the pump until you're able to get back what you invested. And that I'm talking matter of, I think, you know, days and weeks. But it's hard to tell. And the other thing is, exact, but it will come down. And it could come down fairly significantly. It could come down the better part of, you know, anything from 10 cents to 35 cents a gallon. Oh, well, how's that going? That was the end of March. He said prices are going to come down. It will come down. Now, at some point, it will. The cost of oil will come down. The price of gasoline will come down. But that was at the end of March where he said, you know, it's hard to exactly predict, but he was making it sound like, hey, it could come down substantially pretty soon. Sounded pretty upbeat about that. And continue to come down. We'll see. Could be substantial. Could be 35 cents a gallon. What direction have those prices gone since the president made that prediction? I think we all know. If you have a car, you know. If you drive past a gas station, you know. Matter of days or weeks, that would be the slight delay. Well, here we are in early June, and we are breaking record prices basically daily with a lot of experts anticipating A lot more pain before things start trending in a better direction, where the whole country's average might look in a few weeks' time or a few months' time like the current California average, which is awful. Of course, they have a huge gas tax there, so the government's going to make bank while the citizens are suffering. And a bunch of those citizens, I guess, might be eyeing the exits as we've seen people leaving the state of California. So this leads us to an interesting exchange between, once again, Peter Ducey of Fox News, our colleague, and Corrine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary. We just played you a moment ago the soundbite of Yellen admitting that she was wrong about inflation and that didn't really see this coming and there were shocks that she couldn't fully anticipate and all that. She tried to put the best face on it that she could. But at least she kind of admitted fault, and there was some contrition there. So what Ducey asked was, okay, that's the uh, Treasury Secretary. Will anyone at the White House ever admit that they were wrong? Because the White House, as we all remember, said over and over again that inflation was not really that much of a threat. It was transitory. It was minor. And these weirdos like Larry Summers, don't you mind what they have to say. Don't heed those warnings. They're being alarmist. Let's move forward. Let's spend all of these trillions. Let's overheat the economy. It's transitory inflation. Everything's going to be fine. And now we have the highest inflation in 40 years. We have for months. 
and do see this is what accountability kind of looks like, saying, hey, are you guys at least going to admit that you got it wrong? And here's how that Q&A went. Cut 33. When are you guys going to admit that you were wrong about inflation? <laughs> no easy questions today, huh? Uh, the Treasury Secretary says that she was wrong, so why doesn't anybody okay. here at the White House? Okay, so look, what, uh, what the Secretary was pointing out, uh, out uh, this is talking about yesterday when she was doing her, her hit uh, with uh, her TV hit with CNN, is that there have been shocks to the economy that have exacerbated inflationary pressures, which couldn't have been foreseen 18 months ago, Why including. In, well, let me. I'm, I'm trying to answer your question. I'm, I'm, hold on. I, I was just getting to the why not, uh, including Russia's decision to inc- invade Ukraine, multiple successive variants of COVID and lockdowns in China. As, as she also noted during that interview, there has been historic growth and record job creation, and our goal is now to transition to steady and stable growth as inflation is brought down, as uh, Brian Deese said yesterday to all of you when he was standing behind this podium. So the present economic plan, as we see it, is working. The plan is working is the end of that answer. Wow. So she kind of chuckles at the question, as you just heard. And she says, well, what Yellen was saying is all this stuff was just totally not predictable. We couldn't have anticipated it. So some of these things have happened. Now, I would just note, you can't say something was unpredictable when there were people loudly predicting it in public, including people in your own party, and you told people to ignore them. Right? It was not just predictable. It was predicted. They were doing the predicting. And you told us, never mind all that. Don't worry about that. They're wrong. Spend away, Congress. Let's go. Give it your best shot. More and more and more. So you can't just hide behind certain world events. And by the way, additional variants of COVID, totally predictable and in fact predicted. That was on her list of unforeseeable things. They just can't foresee basically anything, it would appear. That's their same excuse on the baby formula stuff. Oh, we've been on it 24-7 since we learned about the recall in February. Then Biden admits, oh, well, I didn't hear about it till April. And no one could have known how this would have gone. Then someone says, well, actually, all the CEOs of the relevant companies, we talked about this yesterday, they all said they knew immediately how bad it was going to get. He's like, well, I didn't know that. They knew that. So even when there are flashing red signs and people making exactly the point that needs to be made, The administration apparently just has no interest in paying attention to any of that. And then when bad things happen, they say, oh, well, we couldn't possibly have known. And by the way, you should be grateful because look at these other good things that are happening. Growth is not historic. GDP growth contracted last quarter. Job growth is happening, but it's happening disproportionately in red states doing different things than Joe Biden wants them to do. I would note that as I often do. But to say, oh, look at all this other good stuff that's happening. And we'll get there. There was no admission, in case you didn't notice. When will you ever admit that you were wrong on inflation? We did not get that. We got the press secretary reading, if you could see the video, she was just reading verbatim off of a piece of paper. This convoluted, totally incomplete and unsatisfactory answer. And if that's what they think is going to work for them... They, of course, not only have a reality problem, they also have this messaging problem they keep thinking about.
because this is bad messaging. On the other side of the aisle, there's some better messaging, some devastating messaging. We will play you what a governor had to say about President Biden's policies as soon as we come back on The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Guy Benson. We are back on the Guy Benson Show. So I ran through some of the sound in that first segment about predictions made and predictions that blew apart from the Biden administration and from the president himself when it comes to the economy. Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida yesterday did a budget signing event at the Villages. I will spare you my rendition of the Villages theme song. But he took the opportunity to just tee off point after point on this performance from this president on the economy. Just listen, cut 34. What has he done since he came into office? He immediately, immediately waged war against American energy production. You see record gas prices in the United States? Well, that's a big reason why, because of his policies. You look at what they did in terms of fiscal and monetary, printing and borrowing trillions and trillions of dollars. What did you get for that? The most sustained inflation this country has seen in over 40 years. He advocated for and imposed mandates and restrictions related to COVID, including having people fired from their job based on getting a COVID jab or not. Uh, That has had a hugely negative impact uh, on the economy, and he failed to take leadership and take decisive action to alleviate the supply chain crisis. Which also plays into the whole baby formula problem that they're grappling with right now. That is a devastating series of points in less than one minute from the governor of Florida. And he's right on each and every point. And every American knows it, which is why the Democrats talking about guns or abortion, where they've got these radical plans. They think that that's going to be maybe their political salvation. I don't think so because of the fundamental problems that DeSantis just laid out. He did it succinctly and powerfully. And of course, he's running for re-election down there. With the election in November, he wants a second term as governor. He's likely to get one. But that sounded an awful lot to me like someone giving a speech with an eye, perhaps, toward the future. Just my impression. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Friday on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for being here. With us now is Charlie Hurt, opinion editor at the Washington Times and a Fox News contributor. Charlie, welcome back, sir. Hey, buddy. How's it going? I want to get your thoughts on the president's speech last evening on guns. I reacted on Jesse Waters' primetime. I had some thoughts ahead of the speech and then afterwards. But without giving you what I think first, what did you think? Well, you know, um, on any sort of major speech like that, especially at a time like this in response to something like what we've been through over the last two weeks, you you can't help but sort of you go at it with an open mind. You want to have an open mind. But, uh, man, he did not take uh, – it did not take long before uh, he retreated to the same old tired bromides and, and politicizing that I, I find so appalling in all of these situations. Um, and honestly, Guy, the thing that I found most disturbing about it, because, you know, obviously we, you know, we've been through this before. We've heard about all of these ideas that, that they proffer at, at, at every time something like this happens. Uh, and they're always the same, and um, you, you and, and none of them ever work. And the problem, but the thing that sort of sort of struck me is this was a very thoughtful and considered speech. This was not him riffing. This was not him just sort of uh, uh, you know going off the top of his head and um, you know talking about banning nine millimeters or uh, guns that have clips more, uh, uh, with more than ten rounds. This was him. This was his best considered effort after 50 years in Washington. And it's just it's, it's very sad, it's very bleak. And the idea that uh, and the idea that that, that you know, that he's going to insist upon using a, a situation like this to to score political points. It's just I find it reprehensible. The thing for me, Charlie, was this. He kept saying, you know, for God's sake, enough, enough, enough. We have to do something. We have to work together. Let's get something done this time. And I kept thinking, even before he started the speech, if he really meant that, if his goal was to help something get done, he wouldn't have given the speech at all. Because there are delicate negotiations underway in the Senate between Republicans and Democrats right now. And having... An unpopular president who's very polarizing with an approval rating in the 30s, stomping into this, calling out the Republicans specifically on a partisan basis, which is what he did in the speech. He is reducing the chances of something happening. Now, it might not be everything that he wants. I think we all understand anything that might come out of the Senate on a bipartisan basis would be considered you know, small potatoes by some. But his whole thing is we can't let this moment pass without achieving something and I feel like the, the very fact that he gave a speech, let alone one that was partisan and very much partisan at certain times, that was the opposite of trying to actually help because you have people dig in. You make it harder for Republicans maybe to sign on to something when people see a guy like Biden come out and say what he said. I mean, he could have just put out a statement saying, I am eager to see what the Senate working group comes up with. And I will review their proposals when they've completed their work and will review them at that time. That would have maybe been constructive as opposed to this, even though it was emotional at times. And I think he channeled a lot of the horror that many of us are feeling. Many of his solutions, quote unquote, are you know dead in the water non-starters. And by him shaming and going after Republicans, it 
the cynic in me almost wonders, does he mean what he says on the enough is enough, we need to please do something, or does he want to use this as a live political issue? Yeah, I, I, I think that – no, I think that's exactly it. I think that he uh, – w- whether he wants to get something done or not, I think he probably realizes that he can't, uh, especially when you consider he is at the weakest uh, point uh, that you could be politically. Democrats in Congress are at the weakest point that they could be politically. Um, you know, they've, they've had, their, they've had their, their shot at the majority. They haven't gotten things done about this before. And waiting until they are facing a catastrophe at the polls is usually the worst time possible to try to get something done like this. But I think you're exactly right. I think that, I think that he is uh, looking at somewhat of a lame duck presidency in that um, he's, he's going to have a hard time getting anything done between now and the election. After the election, it's going to be even harder to get things done. And all he has to do at this point, all he can do is pound the soapbox and try to pay, play politics, which, by the way, I, you know, you know, people, you know, complain about, uh, you know, sham uh, theatrical hearings on Congress, you know, in Congress and stuff like that. And, and I get it. It's, it can be annoying. But, you know, that is what the political process is all about. I don't have a problem with it. If you, if you have to play politics, that's fine. You play politics and, and because that's what elections are built on. But this is not one of those things you play politics on. It's just not. And to, to listen to somebody like him, uh, and his party, after all, you know, you, you want to know what the number, the, uh, all right, first of all, red flag laws are by nature unconstitutional. But secondly, we have the greatest red flag system on the planet. It's called the court system. It's called prosecutors prosecuting crimes and charging people with felonies and getting them found guilty of felonies. And then you lose your gun rights, which Every that's one thing we can all agree upon. And if you and, and by the way, it's also constitutional and people are afforded due process. But it's a really great. But if you. Well, if and, you and to, to that point, Charlie, left, to that point, because I'm in favor of well-crafted state level uh, red flag laws like the one that Florida has. I do think it's important to have due process, really robust due process built into them. And it's interesting because you were talking about playing politics at a House hearing this week debating gun control and various policies. Second Amendment issues came up. Due process issues came up. And a Democratic congressman, David Cicilline, from Rhode Island, he got very angry and sort of said the quiet part out loud, cut 13. So spare me the bullshit about constitutional rights. The gentleman not be, no, I will not yield. And I'm not going to yield for my entire five minutes, so don't ask again. Spare, spare me, he said, the BS about constitutional rights. I mean, he, he said that on television in a congressional debate. And unfortunately, I think this is part of the thing that hinders anything getting done, because a lot of people believe that deep down, secretly or not so secretly, that's what a lot of people in the Democratic Party believe. Screw your thoughts on the Constitution. You know, constitutional protections and rights are BS. Here's Mondaire Jones, a congressman from New York, a Democrat. He said something sort of similar, starting with the ritual attack on prayer. Cut six. Enough of your thoughts and prayers. Enough. Enough. You will not stop us from advancing the Protecting Our Kids Act today. 
You will not stop us from passing it in the house next week, and you will not stop us there. If the filibuster obstructs us, we will abolish it. If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it, and we will not rest until we have taken weapons of war out of circulation in our communities. Each and every day, we will do whatever it takes to end gun violence, whatever it takes. So, Charlie, you've got one Democratic congressman saying constitutional rights and concerns about those protections is tantamount to BS, like some sideshow afterthought. Here's another Democratic congressman saying we're going to blow up the filibuster, pack the Supreme Court by expanding it with our cronies on there, and confiscate weapons. Again, I don't really know how they expect anything to actually get done if they're out there saying these incredibly provocative things that will make a ton of people say, you know what, don't give an inch on anything because we don't want to give them any power where they could even come close to doing anything on that laundry list. Yeah, uh, attacking the power and reverence of prayer as your opening salvo is kind of self-defeating on its face. And it's why I think that they don't think that they really are serious about believing that they're going to, to accomplish anything. This is, it really is, it's all politics. And, and you know, and, and I don't know uh, the particulars of the red flag law in Florida uh, that you like. Um, and, and, I, and I'll say, you know, I, I, I love, I, you know, I'm not, I don't dismiss out of hand the possibility that you could come up with something um, that, that, you know, I'm, I, I don't have a problem with background checks as they are. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and making them better and making them and improving the information that goes into them so that the information that comes out of them, and that includes prosecuting people for felonies for lying on it. I, I have bought, I've bought 100, 100 guns. I, I've filled out at least 200 forms to buy guns. I can guarantee you that, that I have never, I, my, my hand is shaking as I fill in all these things. Because I want to, because I'm so particular about not ever, ever lying on these forms, and I think I speak for a lot of gun owners who feel the same way. If if you do lie on the forms, then you you, you know you, it, it's it, it's a felony, and and so you know the, the idea, uh, you know the idea that you're going to come up with a red flag law that doesn't uh, that that doesn't trample on due process. I just I have a hard time envisioning it, but especially when you have again the greatest red flag system on the planet, right? Which is which that, is after the fact, only... usually, and and that's I think part of the reason that people are trying to figure out a way. If someone is clearly mentally ill, deranged, criminally violent, but they haven't actually committed major crimes yet, is there a way to review the case? before they go out and buy weapons. I understand why that's an appealing idea, and they've tried to craft it well in some of these states. I'm open to it. It's something that I'm willing to support. And Biden mentioned it sort of in passing. He didn't mention fortifying schools at all, you know, or protecting schools with armed guards. In fact, the White House said this week he's opposed to that, which I think is, is you know, crazy. It's like, let's, let's leave the kids defenseless. They have all these other fantastical ideas that are extremely unlikely to ever come to fruition because we do have a second amendment, whether they think it's BS or not, that's what the constitution says. You know, there's this 
there's this push on their part to try to live in a world that doesn't exist, but in the world that does exist in reality, it's like, hey, what do what if we had trained police officers with, with guns at schools? It wouldn't be perfect, but it could at least ha- have one line of defense for these kids. You're like, no, 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 we, we oppose that. That is the official Biden line. And he did not mention anything about that in his speech because he was off on a, some other quixotic stuff. Charlie, before I let you go, I do want to ask you, related to Biden but on a different issue, he is headed to, I think he's already there actually, Delaware, to his uh, beach house again. He has significantly outpaced his predecessors on vacation time. As of this weekend's trip, he will be spending, I guess, now over 190 days, full or partial, away from the White House, 130 at the Delaware Beach Properties, uh, dozens at Camp David, half a dozen in Nantucket. What do you make of it? Is this a fair line of criticism when people, you know, people would sometimes go after Trump or Bush for golfing so much and Obama for golfing so much. Biden likes to get away and and go out to Delaware to the beach, uh, you know, or to the other house that he's got in Delaware. Is this a fair thing to point out? It just seems like sometimes he picks really bad moments where things are going very poorly in the country to leave. And I think that makes it a little bit more glaring where, where people might you know, start to harp on it and say, oh, you beach bum Biden, back to the back to Rehoboth again. What's your position on that? Yeah, I think, of course, it's all fair. Um, but but I think the, the, the point you make is the most important one, which is that, um, you know, obviously, presidents like everybody, they, you know, they, they they would like to, to get out of the, the White House from time to time. I certainly understand that. But when you have a multitude of catastrophes on your hands and everything you touch seems to turn to uh, t- turn to mud, then, you, you, you know, the idea that you're going to be gallivanting, especially at a time where people, you know, vacations, people can't afford to fill up their car with gasoline. They can't afford to buy groceries. And this guy is going to his vacation homes to go bike, bike riding uh, on the on the beach. It's it's a bad look, and you know you can you you can get away with doing it some, but at some point that that you know the way politics works, politics is is very symbolic and it's very visual. At some mm-hmm. point, uh, things are gonna uh, are gonna line up just right, and he's gonna get nailed at the doing the wrong thing at the wrong. Well, time and again, these these are not are suffering. These are not the worst optics that I can recall. I think didn't he go to the beach? when it was revealed that we you know, droned those kids in Afghanistan by accident, yeah. thinking that they were Al-Qaeda or something, or ISIS, and there was just a whole swirl of things happening, and he went off to the beach. That was probably worse than this, but I can understand people looking at that and saying, okay, is this guy really on top of his game doing what's necessary? And I think many Americans, based on his approval rating, have decided uh, that he's not really handling the job terribly well. And I don't begrudge him some time away at all, but as you say, politics, there, there is the optics side of it, and uh, that's why we're talking about this. Charlie Hurt, opinion editor at The Washington Times, Fox News contributor. Charlie, always enjoy our conversations. Come back soon. Likewise. Thanks, bud. We'll be right back on The Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. Back here on The Guy Benson Show. I want to take some of your phone calls coming up in the next hour. So let me give out the phone number right now. 
833-456-1300. You're a toll-free connection here at the Guy Benson Show. 833-456-1300. And here's the topic. This is a Biden-related topic, but I want to lighten things up a little bit. At least I hope that's what this is going to be. And this is not a criticism of the Bidens. I saw an AP story, was it yesterday, the day before, where Jill Biden, the first lady, says that she and the president settle their arguments by, quote, fexting, which I guess means fight texting. So the first lady says when there's a disagreement between her and her husband, they settle it not out in the open, not with spoken words, especially when there are other people around, but they text back and forth. And that's how they settle their disagreements. Fexting, fight texting. So this sparked just a thought about how people behave in their relationships in their lives. So if you're in a long-term relationship, if you're married or long-term boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, how do you and your significant other settle fights or disagreements? Some people really have it out, big screaming matches. They get everything out of their system, then they make up. Some people brush stuff under the rug, and then that, t- that stuff tends to maybe build up or simmer for a while, and then comes out at some point. Other people, I guess like the Bidens, work through things by sending messages to each other, not talking. Some people just sit down and have a rational conversation. Some people want to deal with it, nip it in the bud immediately. Other people you know, will let it build over time. Do you sort of have a policy that's official about how you hash out differences, or does it just sort of happen organically? How do you settle fights, arguments, disagreements with your significant other? Whether you do it the same way as the Bidens or a different way, I'm just curious. 833-456-1300. Your calls when we come back. 833-456-1300 on The Guy Benson Show. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. It's a new hour here on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for tuning in every weekday, 3 to 6 Eastern, right here. And if you can't catch us as we air live, there's a podcast every day on demand for free, GuyBensonShow.com. You can also follow us on social media, at GuyBensonShow, Twitter, and Instagram. Fox News alert as we begin this middle hour. The Dow down today, 349 points at the close ending at 32,898. Well, let me give out the phone number, 833-456-1300. We don't take calls a ton on the show, but I thought this was interesting, and I want to get your take on it. 833-456-1300, toll-free, your connection here at the Guy Benson Show. There was an Associated Press story this week about how the president and the first lady resolve their disagreements, their differences, their fights, basically, via text message. Which, at least to me, is a bad idea. But if it works for them, it works for them. I'm not saying that it's wrong and they shouldn't do it that way. I think for me, especially if tensions might be running high, whether it's with a significant other or just 
anyone trying to resolve something that's a, a real meaningful dispute that you know impacts people's sort of mental well-being, their emotions. I don't know if text messages are the place for that. Just like I feel like, you know, Twitter is not really always the best place to resolve complex differences. There's only so much you can do in that format. But if Biden and the first lady, the president and the first lady, if if that's what works for them, then, you know, God bless. I'm not judging them. The question that I have for you is when you have a disagreement, not like, you know, where do you want to go for dinner type thing, something more significant or substantial, a fight, a disagreement, what have you, with your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, long-term, serious relationship, or someone that you're seeing, how do you handle it? 833-456-1300. This is just more a curiosity on my point, not trying to make any political point about the Bidens. Maybe there are a lot of couples who just text it out. I think that there's kind of like a whole continuum, a spectrum between giant blow-up screaming fights and seething, quiet, resentful bottling up of things. Right? There's kind of everything in between. And I'm not necessarily asking for advice. I'm just curious how people do it and how that works for you and why it works or doesn't work. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. That's the phone number here. And I know that Christine is screening calls and is very busy, but she has been dying to weigh in on this. So I want to make sure that we let her quickly do that. Christine, when you and Bobby have a disagreement, yes, how is it handled in your household? I mean, the outcome we both know, and I'm not trying to be mean here. So if Bobby's listening, he understands us. The outcome is I'm right, he is wrong. So unless that, unless we get to that ending, it's not going to be pretty. We don't really talk on the phone or text or anything like that. Like we need to have it out face to face, but on my terms when I'm ready, not when he's ready. And I have to go now. Is that fair? Um, happy wife, happy life. But is there like a a version of that involving the husband? Like what if he's unhappy? No, no, no. If I'm happy, Bobby's happy. That seems a little tautological. Do you is there like shouting or do you just um, refuse no. to talk to him? No, there's no shouting, but yeah, I'll refuse to talk to him. Like if if I'm not ready to talk about it, I'm not talking about it. It, I, I'm, I'm sorry, it just has to be that way. I know that Dan is laughing at me. Does this sound harsh? I'm trying to, like, be honest, but it's the truth. But if you're not ready to talk about something, are you playing games about when you're ready to talk about something? No, no, So you're no, going to make no. him wait? No, there's no games. Like, really? You know, no, because I'm 40. I've been married for almost 11 years. There's no games. It's literally when I'm – when my hot head is done and we're ready, when I'm cooled off – him and I can sit down, have a glass of wine together, and figure it out. And honestly, we're always fine. It's always going to be okay. Will you lock it down and freeze him out while you're in the stewing period? Yes. Oh, I'm so good at that. 
at like silent treatment stuff? I, I can freeze it. Yeah. I'm pr- I know it sounds bad, but I, maybe it's the Italian jersey. I mean, I could freeze out anybody. Anybody. Because, you know, silent treatment, it's just surprising because I don't really associate you with silence very often. But I guess in this one context, it's it's weaponized. Yeah. Well, well no, no, I don't. No, don't don't turn my words around. I got a call screen. Okay, 833-456-1300. We know the calls are coming in, but Christine made me promise she wanted to weigh in on this because we'd been talking offline about the Bidens and their text method where they text through their problems. So now we know how Christine operates. And even if her husband Bobby's listening, because he does listen pretty frequently, we're not telling him anything here that's breaking news. (laughs) He's very much aware of how it goes in his household. How does it go in your household? 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Let's go to Star calling from Georgia. Star, welcome to the show. Glad you're here. Thanks for having me. You bet. So for me, I would have to say just going right into it, you know, when we have a debate, my partner and I, it's her way or the highway. And it's kind of like similar to what Christina is saying or was saying. It's cutthroat, like you put someone on ice when someone has feelings. Now, do I think via text is the way to do it? Ah, to each its own. I couldn't say that it works or it doesn't work, but for me, it does not. It's in person, eye-to-eye communication, and I like to handle my issues right then and there. Unfortunately, my companion does not, so (laughs) you wait. You know what I mean? And that Uh, doesn't work for me because my opinion and my feelings are also valid. Not saying that yours isn't, but how does something like that work? How do you – she said she was married for 14 years and David is cool with that? Man, that's crazy. (laughs) So last question quickly here. You said it's my way or the highway on the part of your partner. How do you then get past that? Does it only get resolved when you basically finally come around to agreeing? Or do you sometimes – get through i can honestly say i feel i never get through she reminds me a lot of christine and it's (laughs) (laughs) i'm and i'm so happy that i tuned in when i did because you know we're actually having a discussion right now that we cannot see eye to eye on okay so you sort of you hash it out on national radio is how it works is what i'm hearing (laughs) and look if if it works out for you guys and ultimately you're in a happier place then great. If not, then I, you know, I am in no position to give you advice, but I'm glad that you're out there. I'm glad that you're listening. I hope that you actually win one of these just once. Thanks for the phone call. Thanks for listening. Star in Georgia, 833-456-1300. When there's a fight with your husband, your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whoever you're with, how does that go? How is it resolved? The Bidens reportedly do it by text message. Some people scream at each other so loudly, all the neighbors know every detail of the dispute. Are you on one end or the other, somewhere in between? Do you have a weird system? Do you have a system that works? 833-456-1300. Christina calling from Texas. Christina, welcome to the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. Hi. So with me and my significant other, um, texting does not work for us. But like the previous caller said, to each their own. If it works for them, that's fine. But whenever we have a disagreement, we go in separate rooms or one of us will just go for a drive or go somewhere away from each other. 
and we cool down and then we come back, revisit the topic. Um, sometimes we do agree to disagree and we just let it go. And another rule of thumb is we do not go to bed mad. So we resolve See, the issue on yes. the same day. So I, the last thing that you said I can really relate to, I am not the type of person who can just hang around for even days on end if I know that my person is upset with me. Like, I want to deal with it as soon as humanly possible, and I don't like the idea of falling asleep that night still angry or bothered about something. Now, look, in life you're going to go to bed angry or bothered about things, but not with the person who's next to you. And I know it's not always easy, but to me that that's a big one. And, Christina, it sounds like you and I, at least on that point, are very much on the same page. And it sounds like what you just described is like pretty – respectful and pretty mature that's just just my opinion christina thank you for listening down there 833-456-1300 how we deal with spousal or significant other disputes the associated press says that the first couple joe biden and jill biden excuse me dr jill biden they texted out text messages i i i have my doubts about whether that's effective for many people, but if it is for them, again, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, hating on that. I'm just curious what you do in your house when this type of situation arise, uh, arises. 833-456-1300. Let's go to St. Louis. Jim is on the line. Jim, welcome to the show. Glad you called. Oh, thank you very much. My wife and I have been married for over 40 years. Wow. Congratulations. Have, thank you. And we hope for 40 more. And we have never had a, a fight. Uh, we've never had an argument. Uh, when we, we get into, uh, when we disagree about something insignificant, uh, because we don't fight, we don't argue. When we, but when we do disagree about something, I give in when life goes on. Every time? Every time. 40 years of that, you've never had a fight? Never. No, she's my best friend. I don't fight with my best friend. Huh. Because the thing is, I also, I don't have fights. Adam and I don't fight. We disagree sometimes. He'll sometimes let me know that he's unhappy with something by going over the top, like, jokingly passive-aggressive. Like, okay, I guess I'll just take the trash out again by myself. I'm like, okay, message received. We haven't really had any sort of big fight ever, because I'm just not that way. But we're also on year two. You're on year 40, which is extremely impressive. So congratulations on all of that, Jim. And I, I, I don't know if, if I could adopt the strategy of always just agree with the other person. But if it's working for you guys, God bless. 40 years. That's awesome. 833-456-1300. How, when there's a fight or a disagreement or something going down in your life with your partner, how does it get resolved? Screaming match, text messages, you call up a, a radio show and complain in front of the country? What do you do? 833-456-1300. More of your calls coming up after this commercial break. It is the Guy Benson Show. Stay tuned. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. Our phone number here at the show, 833-456-1300. Calls flowing in. The topic is the Bidens reportedly settled their disagreements, Mr. and Mrs., President and First Lady, via text message, which I find very interesting. 
I think that would be difficult from my end. So then the question becomes, and the question I've posed, is how do you all deal with disagreements or disputes or fights in your relationships with significant others? Where on the spectrum do you land? 833-456-1300. Let's get back to the phones. Jill is in Atlanta, listening on 106.3 Extra. Jill, welcome. Hi, I had a roommate who had a winner card with her boyfriend. And after a conversation was hashed out, they would pull the winner card out of their wallet and hand it to the person who won that conversation. And that conversation could not be opened again because it was considered complete. Wow. Now, I don't even know what to say to that because it's a, what if it's a tie? Because if you have two people, each person feels like they've won it, how do they determine who gets the winner card? Or are they just so mature that they could look at it objectively and this system actually worked? Are those people still together? They are still together. I would not say the system worked. (laughs) As the roommate, you're like, yeah, I don't think so. Because he might have the winner card, but she's whining to you, you know, over her seventh glass of Chardonnay. It's really not over, right? The card might say it's over, but it's not over. That's fascinating. An actual winner card. I've never heard of that. That's entertaining, though. Jill, good call. I wonder if that was Jill's roommate, if that was Jill. Ah, that sounds like a roommate story. I think she's telling the truth. 833-456-1300. It's like, oh, yeah, my friend does this thing. No, no, I think it's probably the roommate. 833-456-1300. Let's see. Grant, Los Angeles, California. Grant, glad you called. Hi, guy. So there is a lyric from Taylor Swift's song, Stay, 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 circa 2012, where she, she quotes, because I read you should never leave a fight unresolved. And I, I took that to heart 10 years ago when it came out. And you should always, always, always get to the root of the issue before the issue becomes a bigger problem. Because when that bigger problem does arise, you then bring in all of the past examples of how the relationship isn't working. So if you just get to the root cause of it before it becomes escalated, violent, whatever it might be, you just have to talk about that issue when it comes to fruition. Yeah, no, I think that that's... Very smart and probably true, because this is another thing that you'll see sometimes in these relationship fights is people won't deal with stuff for long periods of time. And one person is really angry or resentful about it. Then finally it comes up and there's like this whole laundry list of complaints and grievances dating back months or even years like then this happened, then that happened. And I think if that's where you are now, where you're calling back to a bunch of stuff that you're mad about, that is not a healthy place to end up. So I I tend to agree. I think that's a good call, Grant, to try to nip it in the bud and deal with things early. Thanks for the call. That's a good piece of the equation. The second part of it, though, that we're talking about here is how do you do that? And, And in what venue, through what process, do you tackle the issues, preferably early, to your point? 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. John, New York, you're next. Hi, John. Hi, hello. Uh, I was just going to put in that conversations of disagreements need to be together in person, eye to eye, where both sides can be heard and understood 
and there can be compromise. Or, yes. Um, and you can see the other person because I think sometimes with this whole text message thing with the Bidens, sometimes words can be misinterpreted and people will sit there and look at the words on the screen and stew on them and not understand what the meaning was. And, and in person, you can hear the inflection in the voice. You can see someone's eyes. I, I think that's probably a best practice. Good call, John. Very quickly, Chris in Ohio. We'll give you the last word on this, Chris, because we're almost out of time. 20 seconds. Hey, guys. Yeah, it doesn't work for uh, me and my wife to text. Um, we have to wait till we get home. Like you were just saying, the inflection of the impression on the face or even the touch of a hand. Yep. You can't tell how someone's texting back and forth. In person. In person all the way. That's my take as well. Good call. Thanks for all the calls, folks. Mike Pompeo is next. We will change topics with him. <laughs> You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. On this Friday, it is the Guy Benson Show, GuyBensonShow.com, podcast free of charge on demand every day, including bonus Benson on the weekends, Saturday and Sunday. You can check that out, GuyBensonShow.com. Joining us now is Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State of the United States of America under President Trump, Fox News contributor and chairman of CAV Pack, the Champion American Values Pack. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Pompeo, and it's great to have you back, sir. Great to be with you, guy. Hope you're having a good day. Likewise, I want to start with the Russia-Ukraine conflict and Russia's invasion of our allies in Ukraine. We're at a hundred days into that war, and it seems like in recent days the Russians have made some gains in the east. They are still vastly short of what they expected that they were going to be able to do, which is take over the country, take over the capital. That seems very unlikely at this point. But there's maybe a stalemate in the east with the advantage, at least in that region, shifting to the Russians, to the Kremlin. But a lot more U.S. support is flowing into that country and support from other European countries as well. What is your read on the state of that war, and what Americans need to know about it 100 days in. Well, Guy, you've described the tactical and maybe operational situation on the ground there pretty nicely. I think that's precisely where it is. There's no doubt that Putin had a vision that he could topple the Ukrainian government quickly. That didn't happen. He's been His military has been impacted hugely, and now they're in this slugfest of a fight in the south and in the east. Uh, there's no reason to think Vladimir Putin's going to stop that. I've heard people talk about an off-ramp. The, the, Putin's is not looking for an off-ramp. He has wanted greater Russia for 20 years, and he is going to continue to chip away, chunk away. We talk about 100 days, too. I, I always think about the fact that this actually began when they took Crimea. It seems like an ancient history. People forget about it. But the context of Vladimir Putin's desires um, has been the same for an awfully long time. So I expect what we will continue to see is Putin's efforts to continue to vanquish greater and greater pieces of the real estate. Um, he'll have places he makes tactical gains. I'm sure the Ukrainians will be successful, but there's no reason to think Vladimir Putin is looking to end this anytime soon. And that is that is tragic for the Ukrainian people. It's it's bad for all of Europe, and it'll impact us here in the United States as well. Yeah, you have some people, and overall, if you look at the polling, the American people are very much supportive of Ukraine and hostile toward the Russian government. There are some folks who are very loud and they 
make their point frequently that they think this is none of our business. It's a waste of our time. It's a waste of our resources. It's a waste of our attention. We have enough problems here at home. What do you say to that mentality overall? Guy, I, I do not share that that view. It, it is the case that we've got lots of challenges here at home. We should absolutely confront them, but it does not mean that we either can or it's in our best interest to not do what we need to do for the Ukrainian people. Uh, take the selfish, narrow interest of there is going to be significant food insecurity in the world in the coming months. I'm from Kansas. We always think about wheat. 25% of the red winter wheat is grown in Ukraine. It can't make its way to the Black Sea. Uh, I could go on, but suffice to say, it's, it's not the case that what happens in Moscow or Kiev stays in those places. It impacts ordinary Americans right here at home every day. Uh, one step further up, uh, we, we care an awful lot about sovereignty. We have we have built that prosperity in the United States of America based on the central thesis that nations have a right to protect their borders and to defend their borders and that aggressors shouldn't be permitted to uh, violate those borders. I wish we were doing it better on our southern border. But more importantly, uh, to, that principle is important. The principle is important because it actually matters uh, to the United States and our friends and allies as well. So there are there are many reasons that it is proper for us to be there. I, I pray to guy that the resources we're providing are getting to the right places. I've now begun to hear just trickles of stories. Some of the billions of dollars we've provided have not made their way through to the actual folks who are fighting on the ground. I, I hope that's not true. Uh, we, we certainly shouldn't squander the money. The Ukrainians need these resources. We need to provide them to them. And when we do, I'm very confident the Ukrainians will do uh, everything they can to protect and defend their own nation. Let's shift to China, not that these are totally unrelated, but tomorrow marks the anniversary of the Tiananmen Square bloody, violent crackdown of pro-democracy demonstrations all those years ago, I remember I was a little kid living in Hong Kong at the time. Your reflection on Tiananmen Square and what the lessons of that day say about the current status of the Chinese Communist Party and their designs on the region, if not beyond. I remember when I was in office as a Secretary of State, uh, the anniversary that would occur each year about Tiananmen. And I remember how the Chinese Communist Party leadership would tell us, don't talk about that, don't say anything about it, just shut up. Um, it, is, it is a mark telling you that how, communi how communist regimes behave, how they treat their own people. They thought that there was risk to the regime, and they cracked down on them. As we stare at the world today and watch regimes like the one in Iran, the one in Venezuela, the uh, one we're seeing conduct these terrible atrocities in Russia, I reflect on Tiananmen Square, and I think, these regimes are of a different kind. Uh, they demand a response from people who are decent and good and kind. America is a force for good in the world. In the aftermath of Tiananmen, we didn't do enough, and we ought to make sure that we get it right here at home and make sure that we get it right in other places as well. The Chinese Communist Party uh, hasn't changed much since 1989. It is still desirous of global hegemony. Uh, we need to be clear about protecting the things that matter for us here at home. There were those leaked audio snippets that purported to show planning happening in China vis-a-vis -a, -vis a takeover or invasion of Taiwan. And I know there's a debate about exactly what that was. Was it saber-rattling? Was it authentic? What was the message being sent? Who leaked it or why? What's your interpretation of that and just the broader Taiwan question right now? 
Okay, I don't have any insights that I can share with you on that. But we should never underestimate Xi Jinping's desire to, uh, his term is reunify China. We should, in much like in Ukraine, they haven't asked for soldiers to come fight. They haven't asked for the 82nd Airborne or the 101st Air Assault Division. They've simply said, can you give us the tools and the resources to help us be successful to reestablish deterrence against the Chinese Communist Party? It's what, it's what saddens me about Ukraine is that we had deterrence guy and we abandoned it. American leadership, powerful American leadership can deter Xi Jinping from an adventure in Taiwan as well. We ought to do that, both physically with the equipment that we can provide them, but also with building out the alliances in the region, Japan, South Korea, Australia, I could go on, but building out alliances in the region to demonstrate to Xi Jinping the resolve of the West to ensure that Taiwan is not subjugated to the Chinese Communist Party. A few moments ago, Mr. Secretary, you mentioned Venezuela. We know that given all the struggles that we have here at home on gas prices, part of the Biden administration's response, unbelievably, has been to go effectively beg for Venezuelan oil or access to Venezuelan oil. What's your reaction when you see that as one of their plans? It just demonstrates the absence of competence inside the administration. Goodness gracious, okay. uh, we have the capacity to have energy dominance here at home. It's, it's really straightforward. It doesn't take any huge governmental action. Just take your foot off the throat of the energy industry, and I'm speaking broadly, all, all, all of the above energy. Uh, we, we can produce this for us. We ought not be constraining energy at home, not only, not only because we want affordable prices, but for the jobs and wealth that creates for the companies that produce it here at home, and instead to turn to someone who's running a narco state, someone like uh, Maduro, who's uh, actually in the hands of the Russians and the Cubans, being controlled by them, and we're going to go ask them to see if we can't create some jobs there in Venezuela. It is, it is nutty. It demonstrates an absence of understanding, and it also shows that they're incompetent in their basic understanding of the, ba the how the American people think about their lives and affordable energy. We, we have the capacity to do it, and these folks are simply throwing it away. The president is potentially going to go to Saudi Arabia to try to work on some of these issues as well. That's obviously a huge producer of, of oil as well. Do you think it would be useful for President Biden to go to the Saudis? It'd be great if we had good relationships with the Gulf states, the Emiratis, the Saudis, the Kuwaitis, the Qataris, uh, the Omanis, the, the, whole, the whole group. Uh, the Biden administration said, nope, we're not going to deal with the crown prince in Saudi Arabia. That's a mistake. The kingdom is an important partner of the United States, important security partner. 100, 100 million barrels and change a day, guy, of demand for crude oil products. The Saudis are always going to be a significant part of that. I think it would be very constructive to develop, develop a relationship with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, we, we all know that we've got to get the human rights element with nations' rights all across the world. But boy, uh, they, they are certainly a better alternative to going to to get crude oil. If you're if you're going to import it from some place in the world, they beat the heck out of the Iranians and the Venezuelans. I want to ask you in that same neighborhood about not just a peace deal, but now a free trade agreement that has been signed, inked in the last few days between the Israelis and UAE. That's yet another positive development related to the Abraham Accords, which the Trump administration and you guys presided over. I know at the time it was hailed by some as a significant achievement. It was poo-pooed and dismissed 
and even demeaned by others, I think, for political reasons. Here is another step toward normalization, one that seemed not that long ago close to unfathomable. Your thoughts on that? It's really good stuff. It's good stuff for the people of Israel. It's good stuff for the people of the United Arab Emirates. But more importantly, it, it demonstrates that you know, a country with a foreign policy that says my goal is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth can't can't be can't really be serious about understanding uh, the way they ought to operate and what's good for their own people. So this trade agreement is a another outcome of that. Uh, really great leaders, the Crown Prince and the Emirates, Mohammed bin Zayed, Prime Minister Netanyahu, now Prime Minister Bennett, building out a set of relationships. It, it's it's good for America too, guy, because we all know how many times we've sent our young men and women to fight and do really hard things in those deserts of the Middle East. To the extent we can build peace, we can create frameworks for prosperity like this trade agreement. Uh, boy, the risk that we have to send Americans there to do hard stuff is reduced, and that is a really good thing for the United States. Yeah, and we, meaning America, brokered the peace deal, which then opened up the space for this type of agreement to come to fruition and go online. And that should benefit people in both countries and then also in the region for the reasons that you just stated Lastly, Mr. Secretary, I have to ask you about this. I saw you in New York not that long ago, a couple of weeks ago. We were both at an event for the American Swiss Foundation, which is a great organization. You were the keynote speaker that evening. We got a chance briefly to chat before your speech. And I know other people have observed this already. I had not really seen you much in person since you left office. The transformation of how you look is pretty dramatic. You, you've lost a lot of weight. I read an article where you said you're just, you know, you adjusted your diet a little bit. You're doing some exercise. It is striking how much better shape you're in now. How have you done that? What's even more striking is how much better I feel, Guy. Uh, it is, it has changed. I am, I'm much more nimble, much more able to get around. And uh, uh, my cardiologist is happy and so is my wife. Uh, it was pretty straightforward. I stopped eating things that were bad, red, sugar, candy, and started working out a little bit. I, I get asked all the time about it. I always tell folks I wish there was a simpler way. And then I remind people as well, okay, this has been a struggle all my life. I, I hope I can stay where I am. I hope the good Lord will let me stay at it and, and, and stay a little bit healthier so I can be around for my grandkids. Is there a piece of cardio equipment that you prefer? Are you an elliptical guy, treadmill, bike? Yeah. It was, it was, I started lifting weights a little bit, uh, some of it just in hotel room stuff, right? Sit-ups, push-ups, uh, those kinds of things. And then when I can find the gym, uh, an elliptical is my weapon of choice. Okay, partial to the elliptical. <laughs> and I know some folks inevitably start saying, oh, well, maybe he's trimming down for presidential run or a political run. I'm not asking you to make news here, but if you want to, feel free. Uh, God, I'm just going to wish everyone a happy weekend. Right there. <laughs> okay, that's fair <laughs> enough. Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State under President Trump, Fox News contributor. Mr. Secretary, always enjoy it. Thanks so much for making some time. Thank you very much, Guy. So long. We will step aside. We'll take a quick break. Be right back on The Guy Benson Show. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Back here on the Guy Benson Show, I saw this report from the Associated Press that a local official down in Uvalde, Texas, is saying 
that those 911 calls from inside the Texas school during the shooting last week, that information, those calls, the reality that we have now all learned and has emerged in recent days, that information was not communicated to the on-scene commander who was, I guess, posting up outside the classrooms along with more than a dozen other officers. Because the timeline is pretty clear now that they had phone calls coming into 911 that there were kids who were hiding and alive still in that classroom and they waited and they waited and they waited, the authorities did, just outside. And people have been, I think, righteously, understandably upset about that, asking how that could be possible. And now the excuse seems to be that that information was conveyed to 911 dispatchers, but then not to the people on scene and the people making the decisions. Two points on this. Number one, I'm not sure I believe them. They have changed the story so many times already on key details. Let's wait until there's a final account that is trustworthy. Because this sounds like some rear-end covering excuses. To my ears, that's what it sounds like. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Second point, I don't know if it is true, if the truth is worse than if this were a lie. Because if the truth is that kids were calling 911 and providing people in charge with crucial information, and the people in charge were not getting that information from their own team, so to speak, because the communication was that bad, that is a damning indictment unto itself, if it's true. And it's not like we're talking about three or four minutes where maybe there was a miscommunication. This was almost an hour, if you look back at the timeline. So I'm not sure if it's preferable that they're lying to us or if the calls were coming in and the folks at the 911 center were not getting in real time or even close to real time that essential information to people making decisions on the ground. I genuinely do not know which one is worse. And I don't know what to believe yet, which is part of the whole problem here. So... We'll keep watching it. We'll keep covering it here as our national debate seems to be moving on to other issues related to guns. But the specifics of what did and did not happen and who's responsible in Uvalde, that's not something that I think a lot of people are going to easily let go. And they shouldn't. We shouldn't. And we won't here on The Guy Benson Show. Final hour of the Friday edition is coming up. Stay tuned. Fridays with Cat, Cat Timp on deck. Stay with us. It's five o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now here's your host, Guy Benson. It is the happy hour on this Friday. Glad to have you all here. Happy Friday, one and all. 
It is the Guy Benson Show, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday, 5 to 6 p.m. is our happy hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is expanding rapidly around the country. It is coming to a store or a bar or both near you in all likelihood. TheLongDrink.com is their website. You can type in your zip code. They will show you where you can buy the product. You can also order online. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly, 21 plus only. And I keep hearing from more and more of you who are trying it for the first time and loving it. Here at the show, our website is GuyBensonShow.com. Our podcast is on demand. It is free every single day, which is a pretty good bargain. And that podcast, by the way, is just growing like crazy. And we are very excited and grateful for that. GuyBensonShow.com. You can also follow us on social at GuyBensonShow, Twitter, and Instagram. And as I mentioned, it's Friday, which means it's time for Fridays with Cat. Cat Tim, our friend, Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld, exclamation point, every night, 11 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel, also co-host of the Tyrus and Tim podcast. Hello, Cat. Welcome back. Hi. Hi. Uh, so I want to run through a couple topics that we have discussed here on the program over the course of the week and get your take. I don't want to call it the definitive take, but... The cat temp take. You on can call several it. You can them. call it definitive. All right, I, I will. I, I won't necessarily mean it, but we'll be polite. <laughs> we'll call it definitive. We did a topic earlier today, and we took phone calls on it. How do you and Cam? Although we were not talking about you and Cam, the phone calls were not about you guys. They were about relationships. <laughs> this was arising from an AP story about how Joe and Jill Biden settle disagreements. They text each other. That's how they fight, basically over text. How do you guys resolve? disagreements within your relationship typically i wish we could resolve them via text i really do he actually won't fight with me via text because i'm so good at it (laughs) i'm not kidding like i'm a writer hello you can like honestly you can ask him he'll be like i'm not having this conversation over text because i can write a devastating text message i'm so good at it like you can be arguing me about something if i'm texting you i will text you into the ground and i will grind my foot on the what's left of you, my heel. So he always wants to talk about it in person for that very reason, to give himself a fair shot of getting his point across, which he never would have, which, I mean, I mean, okay, wait, this is actually a great question for you. I'm going to turn it around on you. Uh-oh. Um, because uh, this happens sometimes. Whenever you're in an argument or a disagreement or whatever you want to call it with your spouse, because sometimes I get accused of this by Cam, um, he'll be like, I need you to, like, go out of TV mode right now and like stop like <laughs> arguing with me, like debating with me, like you're on TV and like have a conversation. Has that ever happened to you? I don't know if that is explicitly. He's so he's, he's thought it that happened probably because it's like <laughs> so oh, Adam I saw it. I see yeah. the point that you're making here. Yeah. I have four points that I sent right. in my POV email earlier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm now going to share them with you in rapid succession, and you can respond to any or all of them. But first, right, and then you yes. start going. The thing is, it's just how my brain. Works. I'll even do it in just like petty disputes with friends over totally. something very small. And I think it's more logical than anything else. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what I say. I'm like, sorry that I'm having arguments. a reasonable, logical, fact based discussion. My bad. <laughs> so if he wants to do it in person, is over the phone good enough or not really? Um, I mean, we live together, so. Yeah, but I mean, you travel sometimes. Sometimes. I mean, not often. And then when I travel, like, he usually comes with me. Um, because we're are just so you deeply able, and passionately in love. Are you able to love? set aside a disagreement? Let's say you're having an intense disagreement or fight or whatever. Can you set it aside for a few days and revisit it? Or are you someone who has to get it resolved or it bothers you? Um, I've 
historically been somebody who um, wants it resolved right away. But now with Cam, like, I'm just more secure in this relationship because, uh, you know, it's a marriage. <laughs> right, it's a big one. <laughs> so it's not like, is it, you know, it's, it's, that's not fairly strange of me, I don't think. So I'm a little more confident in the fact that obviously we're going to get through it because we're married. And if not, we're going to have to have a very messy divorce. Um, so because any divorce, I mean, I don't think we'd have a I'm too I just live such a deeply passionate life. I don't I, I don't think I've ever had like an amicable breakup. <laughs> Would this be the next Johnny Depp Amber Heard situation? <laughs> I don't poop in his, I've never pooped in the bed. So like I it's there's so th- that's what that's the other thing. There is no next Johnny Depp Amber Heard situation. This is actually something I'm deeply passionate about. Everyone says uh, and I talked about this on the show last night. I might post one of my clips on my Instagram, which you can follow me on at Cat Timf. Um, That's good. That's a good <laughs> I just don't think that there's all this discussion of, you know, is this trial a referendum on me too? What's it a referendum on? I don't think it's a referendum or should be a referendum on anything because please, yes, let's not let, let's not pretend for a second that Amber Heard like represents women because it actually is extremely rare for a woman to lie about, uh, you know, a domestic violence or, or sexual harassment or assault or anything like that. That's extremely rare. Um, and this is also not one of those ish- incidents where sometimes people will discredit victims because let's say that a victim said something happened on a Wednesday, but really happened on a Thursday or they got the dates wrong or, um, you know, their memory's fuzzy of certain things. These are like she pro- it's been proven that she outright lied. We're talking about audio recordings of right. her saying no one will ever believe you're a victim because I'm a chick. Like the, the, the evidence here is quite clear. Um, so I just I, I think it's good. I think it's a good cautionary tale or object lesson that the quote-unquote principle that we must believe all women is ridiculous and unworkable and nonsense, that is separate from it being a referendum on wider questions in society. Absolutely. It's such a dysfunctional relationship with these very bizarre characters. Right, and I think that in general it holds true that, you know, women usually are telling the truth because you don't really have anything to gain from making something up like that. It's also true that there are completely insane chicks out there Mm -hmm. and that she is, if if this is not an example of an insane chick, like, she made me realize that I'm well-adjusted when I, like, I was like, I am a well-adjusted, stable, healthy partner. Watching this, like that—that's what I realized watching it. Because that there's like crazy and kooky and whatever, a little passionate, emotional, and then they're just straight up pathological. Which pathological people come in all genders. Mm, that is correct. I, I want to lighten this up a little bit because it's gone down a darker path. My next topic for you is this relating to a relationship. Okay. I know people are debating this. There was a study that came out, so it was in the news about the phenomenon of love at first sight and whether mm-hmm. that's actually real. Or not. No. I think maybe in some rare cases, there's some sort of, I don't know, connection that is extra special and electric right out of the gate, right off the bat. And you've got some cosmic thing where both people fall in love within a few seconds and that's the end of that. I'm just skeptical of this as a concept. I think you can sort of get a sense within the first two minutes no. whether or not you are on a baseline level attracted to no. someone? No. I, I disagree. Okay, uh, go I, on. I think love is sight is first sight is not real. I think that if it's ever worked out, it's just been a coincidence that it works out. Because love is is, is like a choice. It's a decision that you make. It's not I mean well, hang on, infatuation hang on. You're, you're not disagreeing with me. I think I think we're mostly agreeing here. I think that there's very rare exceptions maybe where it exists, but overall uh, I don't believe in it. I just think that there's a base level of attraction. I, I did not experience that with my husband. When I first met him for the first time 
my I was disgusted. I was disgusted. I, no, I was. I, my skin was crawling. I was immediately started making excuses for why I had to go home. I had never been so unattracted oh, wow. to somebody ever. You and didn't he, think he was good looking on any level. I understand. Okay, I, first of all, I don't know that I'm a good gauge for what is and is not hot because I'm. I've been into some uh, the guy like some of the people like I've been into. I'm like the. I don't know. I think there, there are times, just to you know, give you some credit here. There are times where I'm in the green room for Gutfeld, and you walk in in a new outfit, and you inform all of us that you are quote hot. Yes. So I think that you do <laughs> have do. a hotness gauge, certainly for yourself. Right for myself, but I, what I mean is, so Cam <laughs> is conventionally attractive, and I've never been into that. I've actually been re- historically repulsed by that. I only ever went out with him because my sister thought I should. And she pushed me into it. But he's, like, so clean cut. He was, like, dressed nice, like, in his little finance bro clothes. And I was, how like, I was disgusted. And I just was, like, how do I get out of here? But then he hit his vape in the restaurant. And I was, like, you you do this, too? And then, like, and then I had five tequila sodas. And then, Wait, like, on. Was it love at first vape? <laughs> in my, well, no. It was, it was, I'll see where this goes at first vape. Because then even after the first date, like, I kissed him after, and then I didn't talk. Like, I kind of, like, blew him off. He kept asking me out. He was really into me at first because of my scintillating conversation abilities plus mm. my beauty. Mm-hmm. And um, he, like, I can't. I canceled multiple dates. He blew him off. But then he showed up on the second date with, like, he was late, and he didn't shave, and he had a hoodie on and, like, a baseball cap. And I was like, this guy's hot. And then we never uh. spent a night apart after that. But I was actually, when he showed up, I was like, how, why did I agree to do this? This guy is so gross. This is, like, everything that I'm disgusted by. I was so not attracted to him at all. And now I am, obviously. Wait, so he had, <laughs> so he had to show up late and look grungy. He looked grungy. That's what it was. For you to be like, okay, yes. It wasn't the lateness. It was the grunginess because he was dressed up nice. And I'm like, oof. And now I even, I do like I'm in a suit now. I mean, like, Cam, again, I had to be, even ask my friends, I'm like, is Cam hot? Like, I can't tell. Because it's never been the kind of guy that I'm into because he is, like, he is good looking. Like, he's conventionally attractive. But I've never been into that with guys before. Which is why you are repulsed by me. Mm-hmm. So next question. This is a topic that we tackled earlier in the week. Wall Street Journal story that it is now the new normal, sort of the new socially acceptable thing to cancel plans at the very last minute, either with a last minute text and excuse or just a ghosting, whether mm. it's a dinner party or something like that. And our news hook, if you will, for this beyond the journal story was they were talking about it on Outnumbered. And Jillian Turner, our colleague, apologized on the air to me for blowing off my barbecue last weekend. And I appreciated and accepted the apology. But I do not accept that we should just now agree as a culture that you can commit to doing something and then decide that you don't really want to at the very, very 11th hour and then just say, yeah, never mind, or say nothing at all. No. I think that that's rude. But I know a lot of people do it. Where do you come down? I think it's awful because time is our most valuable resource. It's the only thing that we can't get back, and that's stealing it from somebody else. Um, you know, it's one thing if something comes up and, you know, you let them know. But you just be like, I don't feel like it, you know, unless you set the stage first. Like, I sometimes, you know, I'll make, like, soft plans if I'm not sure, you know, like, hey, like, I might have too much work to do. So I'll let you know how I feel. So just so that they know that that is my attest, mindset. By the way. I can attest to this because sometimes I'll be in New York and we'll text that I'll be around and we're not really sure about our right. schedules. And even in the instances where we end up not hanging out, one or the other ends up texting the other person being right. like, hey, what's the deal? What are your thoughts? Right. Or I can't do. You just sort of stay open in the communication, and I think that that is much less likely to piss someone off. Right. And if you don't, here's the other thing. If you don't want to actually do something, or you're very lukewarm at best on doing it, and it's a social activity, 
don't make the plan in don't the first make the place. Plan. Because then have the, let the other person go make a plan with somebody who does want to make a plan with them. Unless they're a horrible person who no one wants to hang out with. In which case, it could be good for them to learn that and improve. <laughs> I'm serious. How do you share that with someone? Well, that sounds fun, but I really don't want to spend time with you because, A, you're conventionally attractive. Yuck. You don't and, B, <laughs> you're terrible. Well, you don't have to do that, but I feel like if you, know, if, you're, if you spend enough time alone and no one wants to you know, get together with you, you might start to kind of figure it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, up next... And we're just blowing through these topics. Oh, yeah. It's I'm like, ready, uh, baby. It's like a lightning round half hour with Cat Tim Fear. Fridays with Cat on the Guy Benson Show. And you know what? We'll take a quick break, and then we'll move on to the next topic here with Cat Tim. Stay tuned. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. Back on the happy hour on the Guy Benson Show with Cat Tim. And I think we're on to topic number three or four. Anyway... We went around the horn on our team here at the show on this. Who is the most famous person from your hometown? Uh, probably me. It's you. <laughs> no, I'm like kidding. all time. Uh, it depends. I don't really like have a, a, a home. It depends which hometown you mean. Like, Detroit, like I was like the, I spent the first like five years of my my life like Where'd we, you go to we high moved school? all around the Detroit area. But from my high school, I'm I'm probably the, I'm definitely the most famous person from my high school. I went to Lutheran High School North in Macomb, Michigan. So, I, like, I, I'm definitely the most famous person from there. Have you gone to a reunion? Are you just, like, yes. the talk of the town for I went reunions? to a reunion, and finally, because I was, I was, like, nobody, I was kind of made fun of in high school. Like, I got, I ended up being a little more popular my senior year, but I was, a, a, I was like, on the mock trial team, and I was, like, in the, in the plays, and, like, I was, like, a loser. I was, like, I did a 4.0, you know? I was ugly, too. And um, Wait, hold up. You were in theater? yeah. No wonder you're so hostile to oh, theater. Oh, you want to know? Can I admit something to you? Yeah. Part of the reason I'm hostile to musical theater is because I was really into I'm, – I'm a performer, if that's not clear. But I can't sing. And I even oh, took singing jealous. lessons when I was in, like, fourth grade. And the woman called my mother being like, I don't feel right about taking your money. Like, she can't do it. Like, she cannot sing. It's hopeless. Yeah, no. Yeah, no, I swear. So I used to have to be, like – so, like, Charlotte's Web, that's a musical. So I had to be the narrator. I had to, like, narrate the, sh- the death of the spider because I couldn't sing. So, yeah. But, so, yeah. So, like, the guy that always blew me off, and he, like, broke my heart so many times. For example, like, I was at Homecoming, and, like, we were friends. And he would do this stuff that make me think he liked me, but he really liked me as just, like, a friend. Like, he decorated the whole hallway for my birthday one year, but it was, like, just as a friend. And was then he on it, my team? It was homecoming. No, he's married now with two kids. Huh. Um, it was homecoming one year. We're sitting there on the bleachers, and we're talking. And when the teachers came up, I'm like, oh, like, hey, Mark. Uh, his name's Mark, whatever. He, I've, talk, I've used him for content before. I think he knows about it because he actually watches the show, and he's actually <laughs> seen me talk about him before. That's um, But he, yeah, he, he was, this was heartbreaking. Listen to this. I'm wearing light-up flip-flops and a dress. And the teacher's like, I thought you weren't talking to girls anymore. And Mark goes, oh, that's not a girl. That's just cat. <gasps> yeah. And I ran to the bathroom and I cried the whole night with my friend Brittany. And this would continue. And then he kissed another girl in front of me one time and I cried at his house in front of his mom. I mean, it's on me for like just repeatedly allowing myself to be crushed. Um, but yeah, at the reunion, it was so funny. He was like following me around. <laughs> yeah, I did. I was, I was well liked in high school. Not popular, but well liked. I think there's a difference. And when I went to my 10 year reunion, it was interesting to see. That was my ten year, yeah. Yes, yeah, some of the kids who were super popular back in the day, maybe not so, 
successful. Right. And they would not have really given you much of the time of day, certainly not invited you to a party or anything in high school, who are now very, very eager to buy you drinks and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Just because the tables have turned. I got thrown out of a party after a dance one year because I wasn't cool enough to be there. And I that went, was their, their reason? Yeah. Did they tell you that? Yes. Well, I mean, so they handed out wristbands for the party. It was, it was everyone would just go get drunk at this girl Courtney's grandma's house. And I went there with my boyfriend, um, and because he had a lot of friends going there because he had graduated a year before me. And that's when I started to become a little more cool because I oh, started yeah. dating him, and he was yeah, one of the, the cool, cool kids who graduated. Guy. Yeah. And um, I show up, and they're like, you have to leave. Like, you don't have a wristband. Like, if you, been cool, like you, if you were cool enough to get a wristband, you'd have gotten one. And I had to, like, leave. So basically all of your beautiful outfits on Gutfeld, it's just a revenge tour. I mean, it's crazy because a lot of these people now, like, they, they, they also still use Facebook, right? And they'll be, like, you know, messaging me all the time. And I, like, when I'm, like, you coming home for Christmas? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you yeah, think that the I thing don't? Is, yes, I am. I'm having a party, but it's wristbands yeah, wristband only. only. And again, it's not like, it's really not like I care at this point. It's obviously, it's just more, like, funny to me. Like, you think that I have not... In the past, you know, since I graduated in 2006, I have not developed any more valuable relationships along the way that are more worthy of my time. Like, I am over it. But thank you, Courtney. Well, we are going to put the crown on your head as the most famous person from your Lutheran from high Lutheran school back in, in Michigan. Congratulations, although you never know who's up and coming. You have to constantly be vigilant because the queen has to look over her shoulder. Yeah. Speaking of the queen... We're going to go across to London in our next segment. Martha McCallum is there covering the Platinum Jubilee for Her Majesty. We'll get the latest from Martha coming up. Kat, great to talk to you always as always. Always great to talk to you. We will take that break and come back with Martha from London on The Guy Benson Show. Happy hour next. Talking to you about issues you care about. Guy Benson. It is the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday to all of you. GuyBensonShow.com, our website. Podcast free of charge every day. Joining us now from London, England, is our colleague Martha McCallum, host of The Story every weekday, 3 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. And she is over there with some of our colleagues covering the Queen's Jubilee. What is it, the Platinum Jubilee? Is that right, Martha? Yes, it is. 70 years. Platinum Jubilee. 70 years is extraordinary. She's 96 years old. She became queen at a very young age, and she has been a dominant figure really in world politics and world events for decades. And there's a great affinity, I think, not just within the U.K., but around the world among many people for Queen Elizabeth II. Put her reign just a little bit for us in historical context. 70 years is really pretty amazing. It is amazing. And, you know, when she started at the age of 25, and remember, she was never expected to be in the line for um, to be queen. She was the daughter of uh, the brother of the king um, and the person who was expected to rule for for decades. But then um, Edward VIII went off with Wallace Simpson, his American divorcee, and left the family and left the throne open for Elizabeth's dad. So when she took over at 25... Um, Winston Churchill was in his second term as prime minister. He was her first prime minister that she worked with, or she would say who worked under her. She always says, my prime minister. And Harry Truman was still in office. Joseph Stalin was in leadership in Russia. Wow. So 
that's that's where things were when she began. So she just has such an enormous breadth of history and experience with 14 prime ministers, and she has been queen as long as 14 U.S. presidents. So it's pretty hard to find someone really in the world who has a more kind of comprehensive look at the history of the last 70 years. Yeah, world events and significant figures, to your point. And she has met so many of the most important people in the world over the course of her reign. So this is the big celebration, 70 years on the throne. I think the Brits had, what, a couple days off from work. They call it a bank holiday. Lots of celebration, drinking. I heard they were keeping the pubs open a little bit later. Oh, yeah. Her Majesty's Honor, so I'm sure people were thrilled about that. What's the mood in the UK? And, and do you have like a, a bias because you happen to be around people who care the most? Or is there a, a deeply felt, broad-based level of affection for this woman? Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I think there's so much cynicism in the world, right? Um, and here as well, they've been through, like we have, a couple of years of very rough times with COVID. They have inflation issues here as well. Um, and I think that there is a, just a big mood to celebrate right now. And also, as uh, I talked to Nigel Farage yesterday, and I interviewed David Cameron, the former prime minister, earlier today. And they both spoke of just the gratitude that they have to her. And it's interesting in life, you know, I think too often we don't sort of say these things about people and have this kind of retrospective look at their life until after they're gone. So I think that there's a feeling that they want her to know how much they admire her as a person. Um, And nobody's perfect, obviously, and there have been some ups and downs. But for the most part, uh, she's a very uncriticized individual in, in the world, on the world scene. So I think they're happy as a, as a community, as a city, as a country to have the opportunity to show her that they are grateful and that they admire her while she is still here to really enjoy it and to feel that feedback. She stood on the balcony yesterday and you could read her lips. She said, Oh, how incredible, you know, just looking out at this outpouring of people. So yeah, there's a lot of fun going on. The the pubs are definitely crowded. The weather is nice. The past couple of days, very spring-like and just a really positive, I think, grateful mood. We saw those images of the queen on the balcony coming out and getting all the cheers and the music. One of the little kids stole the show. Who was that making all the faces? <laughs> that was Louis. He's the third child of, of Catherine and the Duke of Cambridge, William, Prince William. And uh, he was adorable, and he was, you know, holding his ears. It's too loud. It the floor pass went over. They call it a fly pass. So um, I, I feel like every one of these events that I've covered over the years, guys, there's always one of those kids who's on the balcony who steals the show. When it was Kate and William getting married, there was a little girl who just looked tired and with, bored with the whole thing, kind of resting her head on her hands. The photographs, she was in all the photographs. So it, it's kind of a nice factor, I think. Um, of it's like a royal tradition. To see them interacting with these little kids up there. And, you know, they kind of reminded all of us of, of our own families and kids. Then we saw the Queen excusing herself from some of the festivities. She was absent, not feeling well. I mean, what is there to read into that? Because you hear that, you might say, okay, that makes sense. You also hear that and you say, okay, she is, you know, on the downslope toward 100 years old. Is Mm -hmm. this something to be concerned about? Is there an expectation that she will be at some of the additional activities coming up this weekend? 
You know, I, I think she has always kind of tempered expectations about how much of this she would able be able to attend in person. And I was not. I know a lot of people were very shocked that she didn't uh, go to the service this morning. But it's, you know, it's it's kind of a lot to go into St. Paul's Cathedral, even if they're bringing her in through the side door. She just has trouble getting around. She has trouble with her legs or her knees. And to be sitting in there for an hour and a half, and then, you know, have to kind of get up and walk back across the church and leave. I, I think, I don't think we really know. From what I'm hearing uh, is that she has problems with her knees, that she gets inflamed, that they get inflamed and it makes it hard for her to, to get around. So um, I think the fact that she came out twice on the balcony yesterday is, is probably the only time we're going to see her. She's just said shortly, a short time ago that she's not going to be at Epsom Derby tomorrow, which is uh, the big um, horse race event that she loves to go to. Uh, yeah, she loves horse horses, right? So for her to miss that, she is... loves horses and she loves dogs. So yes, I mean, I think she's entering a period where these things are are more and more challenging for her to do. But she looked she looked pretty good yesterday, actually. I would she say she did, and she looked happy and, to your point, sort of marveling at the crowds. And I think it probably takes a lot to marvel at anything when you're the Queen of England and you've been the Queen for seventy years. You've seen everything, but still, there's that fresh appreciation and perspective, I guess, that stays with you throughout your life. We have to ask Martha and talk about this. A lot of Americans who are paying attention to this story, many are not, some are. You've got the hardcore sort of royal watchers, and then other people who are kind of fascinated by the monarchy, others who are contemptuous of the monarchy and don't care at all. But it's hard not to hear at least a few stray words here or there about Harry and Meghan Markle, they left, right? They're like, we're out of here. We don't want to really be a part of this anymore. We're flying to California. Goodbye. What is their role in all of this? And did I see that they were booed by onlookers at one of these events? Well, you know, today was sort of the first time that we saw them out and about. Uh, They were kind of just in the background yesterday. And I think it was significant that they walked into the church and were kind of shown to a second row seat on the other side, away from Charles and William and their their families. So I think things have changed dramatically for them, and really at their own choice. They chose to back away from their duties um, of you know service with the family and handling events and handling the things that the rest of the family does and uh, moved to California. So I think it was pretty clear to them after they did that, that things were going to be very different. And I think this might've been the first time that Harry really absorbed just how different they are. He's not wearing his, you know, doesn't have affiliation with the military anymore. His father and his brother were on horseback in full military regalia and Harry fought in Afghanistan. It's something that was always very important to him, that connection to the British, to the British military. And that's not there anymore. And, uh, you know, it's, it's weird. I mean, imagine one of your siblings walking in and being seated far away from the rest of your family. So on a very personal level, I, I would imagine that today was a real wake-up call for him. And as for the booze, uh, there were some people booing, and you could hear them on the audio. When they walked out, there were also people cheering at that time as well. So I think there's a mixed feeling about them. But if you just go by the poll numbers, Harry's gone from, you know, plus positive 77% to down to 26. So he's, he's lost a ton of, um, of his affection in the country. And I think a lot of people sort of attribute it to, to her. Um, so we'll see, you know, what the future holds for them. I think there was some speculation that maybe 
they might reconcile a bit if nothing if for no other reason just to you know make their grandmother happy mm-hmm. um but that it doesn't appear to be the path that is uh that's being taken right now anyway and speaking of that word affection does all the deep affection that we were talking about for queen elizabeth ii does that transfer over to her family i don't want to get ahead of this as all a huge celebration of her life and her time on the throne but people are of course casting their eyes ahead to the future is that reservoir of support for her or for the family well that will remain to be seen i think it's clear that it's there for her and uh piers morgan was saying today you know the thing about having a queen and of course um we rebelled against that as a country and had a revolution and and not want that kind of leadership but he said you know the one good thing about having a queen is that she's a national figure who represents the sort of overall values and culture of the country in a non-partisan way, kind of like a big British flag of a human being that reminds everybody (laughs) what connects them instead of what divides them, which does sound like a pretty nice thing in some ways. Um, So whether or not it it, uh, extends to them, you know, 70 years is a long time. Like when we have a president for eight eight years, you kind of go, oh, that's a whole era of my life, you know, that sort of connects to having that person in the background. So anybody who's under the age of 70 has only known her in that role. So whether or not they can translate that affection to Charles I, remains to be seen. You know, I think I think when that time does come, and her mother lived to be 101, so um, we'll see. But I think it, it would be a. I think it's going to be really rock the boat actually a little bit around here. And although there's a lot of positive uh, support for Charles these days, he's had his ins and outs. Um, there's no doubt that it will just represent just a very different feeling for quite some time in that transition. I would imagine. Finally, Martha, I'm jealous that you're there just because I love London and I love the Brits. I'm not as into all the pomp and circumstance and the family tree and all of the details like you are, but a beautiful, splendid weekend of festivities and fun and all the sort of trappings of this type of an event with great weather and all that. It sounds like a lot of fun. Is there anything that you are particularly looking forward to yourself coming up in the next few days of this Jubilee celebration? Well, you know, there's going to be a big concert tomorrow night. Uh, Rod Stewart and Queen and um, Adam Lambert. Uh, so it's all set up, you know, when you when you go around Buckingham Palace, it's, it's all set up for that enormous concert, which I think will be neat. I thought it was really cool last night. They did, they basically put all of these faces of Elizabeth at different ages uh, projected onto the, the whole front of Buckingham Palace, which was a really cool thing. And, um, and the, the Derby, as we would say, like Kentucky Derby, but the Derby is tomorrow afternoon and you'll see a lot of them out at, at that as well. So, and yes, you know what? It's, it's a great city, great place to visit. And it is beautiful. It's been beautiful the past couple of days. We're expecting some rain the next couple of days, but it's just, it's a really, it's a brilliant time to, to be here and to see it all. So yes, I, I look forward to it and I do enjoy it. We've been working a lot of long hours. You know how it is when you travel for work. Uh-huh. It's not like you're just, um, you know, kind of uh, running to, uh, to the pubs. <laughs> but, um, but it's well worth it. Yeah, it's been a great experience. And I would say it really wouldn't be a thoroughly British event without some rain. So maybe it's appropriate yeah, exactly. in some ways. Last Jubilee, it rained. It poured through the entire, entire thing. So we've been lucky so far. Yeah, this is an upgrade for sure. Martha, we're enjoying all the coverage. And we look forward to having you back here stateside very soon. 
Thanks, Guy. Always good to be with you. Take care. Absolutely. We'll take a break. We'll come right back. The home stretch is next. Guy Benson will be right back. Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show on this Friday, almost to the weekend. Thanks for listening. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast every day, including bonus Benson Saturday, Sunday. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I saw this map floating around on social media. It's a map of Europe. It's interesting. Where they color code the map of Europe based on some social norms when it comes to hospitality. And the question is, are you likely to receive food as a guest at someone's house in various places? So dark blue on the map means almost always you're given food as a guest. Light blue is usually, yes, you're given food. Light pink is you're unlikely to get food as a guest. And then red is you are very unlikely to receive food if you're a guest in someone's house. And it's basically all along the Mediterranean Sea is dark blue. You almost always get food. Spain, Portugal, Italy, most of Italy at least, and like Croatia, Greece, etc. Then as you move north, it becomes less likely that people are going to serve you food. Although in Eastern Europe, it's still usually yes. Russia, apparently, usually yes. Parts of France, usually yes. Then you get into northern France and Germany, and that's where you start getting into the unlikely area. We just talked to Martha, who's in London. In England, that is a usually-you-don't-get-food country, apparently, so light pink. Then the least likely places that you're going to be offered food as a guest would be Scandinavia. See, in Finland, they would just offer you long drink, which would be more than enough. You don't need food. But Scandinavia and, I guess, Iceland... Don't expect food as a house guest. So people were debating this based on their ethnicities and their own family traditions. I just wonder here in the U.S. what the expectation is. I think it kind of depends on how long you're at the house and what the nature of the visit is. But if you are a guest in the house for any significant period of time, I would say food is offered, even if it's just a small snack of some sort. Usually you're getting offered something. If it's a social gathering, there's almost always food. If there's an overnight stay or visit, of course you're offered food. Unless I'm missing something. Christine, what is your food policy on this? I would probably supply too much food. That's what I get told often. I can't imagine a scenario where I've invited anybody to my home and did not have something out to eat. Ever. Yeah, so you'd be kind of in the dark blue category here. Yeah, I'm the one, like, forcing you to eat if you come to my house. That's like, you got to eat. Yeah, you look hungry. Are you hu- All I do, whenever anybody's, you hungry? You hungry? You hungry? You hungry? Yeah. Can I make so you something? That sounds right. No, and I think that's generally, maybe there are regional differences within our country as well, but I think there's generally an expectation of something. If you're hungry, can I offer you a drink? I mean, that's just sort of basic i can't imagine showing up it's like oh yes there's nothing for you here we got to run by the way i'm curious to hear how your day at the races goes tomorrow 
you had mentioned earlier in the week that you're pulling your daughter out of a play date yep. to go see what the ponies, yeah, which makes me I'm very nervous about you around ponies based on your history. Are, but you're bringing your daughter to a gambling event. It's not. We're canceling, going no, no. canceling a play date to go to a gambling event. Christine, we're up on the clock. Come. It's a very strange parenting choice. I'm just saying we'll have to hear about it next week. See how it goes. How Megan enjoyed her experience and how much money you lose. We'll get that update perhaps on Monday on The Guy Benson Show. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.